Hey folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 106, Negotiation Failed. We're going to finish up the TAC memo in this episode, and then we're going to move on to other things in the file. Cap Music instructed Lieutenant Maxey to use the remaining TAC personnel within the inner perimeter in whatever capacity needed. To explain the overall tactical plan, the TAC command felt it was necessary to describe those things which were done in the event of a successful officer rescue or arrest. Cap Music and Lieutenant Pugh were to remain at the TAC command post during the assault. Lieutenant Quinn was assigned front security to ensure an orderly transition from the tactical situation to a crime scene investigation. Lieutenant Maxey was assigned rear security to ensure the orderly transition from a tactical situation to the crime scene investigation. Mobile high-intensity light had been moved into position by the fire department at Patrolman Bibb's direction and were used after the assault for the investigation. Ambulances, paramedics, light gas and water, telephone, and other support personnel were nearby and activated on a needed basis. Patrolman McNair will describe the assault in a separate report. I don't know if I have that report or not. I'll have to look through there and see if it's there. Patrolmen listed below are those used on the assault team. Patrolman K.K. McNair, team leader, was selected because of his tactical experience, leadership qualities, and proven ability. Patrolman D.A. Rutherford was selected because of his tactical skills, experience, firearms capability, and works well with the team. Patrolman R.O. Watson was selected because of his tactical experience, agility, firearms ability, and has shown those traits necessary to operate as a team. Patrolman C.R. Summers was selected because of his tactical experience, agility, firearms capability, and the fact that he has shown traits of operating well within a team. Let me go back up here and just briefly talk about that transition from tactical situation to a crime scene investigation that's really important as soon as the the shooting stopped and that the TAC unit has that situation under control you need to make that transition as quickly as possible to a crime scene because the longer they stay in there the more people that go in there and you're going to disturb the crime scene, so it's going to make it tougher on the investigators and crime scene technicians. So that is important. I don't know how many people actually caught that of the executive staff, but that is important that they do that. Summers replaced Todd because of a sinus problem causing breathing difficulties when using a mask to protect him from gas. Now, I'll tell you a rumor or a story I've always heard regarding 
the tech guys that actually went in that allegedly uh, one or more tech guys uh, paid other tech guys money to stand down so they could take their place because they wanted to go in on the assault. I don't know if that's true or not. It's always going to be rumors and tall tales, but that's always been an interesting story, whether it's true or not. Patrolman D.C. Hubbard was selected because of his proven strength and ability with an M16, as he was to be used along with Officer Ray to batter the door and provide follow-up cover for the first four officers inside. He replaced W.D. Dawkins because of strength and experience. If I'm not mistaken, Hubbard's the one that crashed in the doors at St. Jude when they had to uh, enter the room. Patrolman H.A. Ray was selected because of his strength, proven ability, expertise with the shotgun, and his compatibility as a team member. Cap Music instructed Patrolman Summers to carry a handcuff key in the event Officer Hester was handcuffed. Also, a set of bolt cutters was placed outside front if needed. Lieutenants Maxie and Quinn were instructed to have the inner perimeter roped off and held by TAC personnel once the house was secure. The assault began at 3.05 a.m. and was completed at 3.42 a.m. Now you're looking at that, that's 37 minutes. But the actual entry from the back all the way up to the front to get to Hester probably took no more than 60 seconds, 90 seconds maybe. And that was with a pause to, uh, because of the mistiming of the gas and artillery simulators and whatnot. It took more time to go through the house and sweep after they had been engaged in gunfire with the seven suspects. The checking the house to make sure it's absolutely secure was definitely more time consuming than the actual gunfire. Federal CS tear gas was deployed because it is a non-burner blast dispersion irritant. That's very important when you're going in to a house. There's horror stories galore over the years of the use of tear gas that caught houses on fire, and it, it didn't go very well. The ordnance selected for use included gas, sound, and flash devices and simulators, all deployed for officer safety. Attack Command is of the opinion that these officers trained with this ordnance are familiar with its capability and the sounds emitted from the ordnance not only disorientates, but tends to cover the sounds made by the entry team. Well, obviously, when they're cranking off the artillery simulators, throwing those through windows and the gas and the flashbangs, you're hoping that 
that covers the entry team when Ray and Hubbard are knocking in that back door. The question as to night or day assault was raised. Obviously, the TAC unit was prepared to assault whenever rescue could be made. The major consideration was not to show any aggressive acts causing Officer Hester's additional injury or death. Our primary assault team, if given the choice, preferred to cover of darkness. Team leader McNair felt his team was experienced enough to complete the movements necessary to rescue Officer Hester. Our alternate team preferred a day assault as it afforded more visibility. Should be emphasized either team was prepared to go when directed by the TAC command. Search, identify, and shoot techniques were used to maximize officer safety as negotiations failed for 32 hours. Well, folks, that last uh, statement there, especially the last few words, Negotiations failed for 32 hours. That's a damning comment. That, that speaks volumes about what the TAC unit thought about what went on. And that's not necessarily directed against the negotiators. That's directed towards those who prevented the TAC unit from doing their job. All right, folks. That's going to wrap up this episode. We'll come back in about a week or so. We're going to go over a fairly in-depth article written by the Commercial Appeal. Now, it's not part of the official file, but it is it is something that the police department would have read and kept up with. Because anytime you're doing an investigation, you want to know what the media is saying and what they're doing. And this article is, it's a pretty good article, but I do want to go over it because it gives a different perspective. It's not the police department's perspective, it's the news media's. Also now, I did look, the that TAC memo we just completed, that is the last piece of paper that I have on the file so we will do one more episode after we do the commercial appeal article and that episode is going to cover the reason that Shannon Street may have happened the way it it did alright folks I appreciate you we'll get back together in a week or so and go through that article that's probably going to be a couple episodes it may even be more than that but it is a good article and it's worth reading I do think it's important to read what others were thinking rightly or wrongly and uh, the article does include some interviews with Miss Sanders hi folks thank you appreciate you and we'll see you down the road